From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Immigration policy has roiled the body politic for years, and especially since Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. But lawmakers of both parties and Trump largely agree on one thing, that American employers need more foreign guest workers. At the request of a bipartisan group of senators, the Homeland Security Department agreed last month to increase by 30,000 the number of visas offered this year to foreign workers who toil in America's seasonal industries, from seafood processing to resort housekeeping. I've invited two critics of that decision on today, who also come at the issue from different perspectives. Daniel Costa is Director of Immigration Law and Policy Research at the Economic Policy Institute, a think tank that supports pro-labor policies. He joins us by phone. And here in the studio, I'm with Preston Hennikins of the Center for Immigration Studies, which advocates reduced immigration to the United States. Welcome to you both. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Preston. Let's start with you. The center has found a lot to like in President Trump's immigration policies overall, but on the expansion of guest worker visas, you don't agree. Why so? So it's very interesting, particularly with President Trump. He has said throughout his campaign and throughout the first few years of his presidency that he supports, uh, you know, more opportunities for Americans, more jobs for Americans. He's rolled out executive orders, you know, with this, you know, buy American, hire American. When it comes to guest workers, though, it's clear that he hasn't been following through on those promises. Um, On the campaign trail, he continues to talk about importing more guest workers. And uh, I'm not sure if this is because of people in his cabinet that support, um, you know, cheaper labor, uh, you know, access to to, um, guest workers, that kind of thing. But he certainly isn't following through in our perspective on, um, his promise to hire American. And Daniel, the Economic Policy Institute has been mostly critical of President Trump. This is another strike against the president so far as his policies affect on working people, right? Why so? That's correct. And it's also hypocritical. He's trying to uh, implement border policies that keep people from Mexico and Central America from coming to the United States, or he's trying to kick them out. Um, while at the same time uh, allowing people to come in through a program that, you know, where 80% of the people coming in are from Mexico and Central America. And, he's, you know, this program allows them to come in as essentially captive workers. They are, uh, the, this H2B program is a guestwork program like many of the other programs that the United States has, where um, it's effectively a form of corporate control where employers have, have an inordinate amount of power over, over their workers. You can't quit and uh, keep your visa. You have to go home if you quit. Correct. It's not, it's not easy to leave an employer even when in, in, there's a, a case of wage theft or workplace abuse. It's, it's very difficult because as soon as you uh, leave the job, essentially lose your visa status, which makes you deportable. And many of the workers who have come in to work in these programs have paid fees to labor recruiters, sometimes in the home country, sometimes here. Sometimes those are illegal, but uh, they're usually in debt and they want to earn that money back. And so that, that gives them a, a, a very large incentive to uh, continue working or, or not, not complain to government. Authority. Don't rock the boat. Exactly. Okay, Preston, let's step back for a second. 
What are these visas? They're H-2B visas, and why do employers say they need them, and how do they get them? Right. So, uh, in essence, the H-2B program um, is a uh, visa program that allows employers to hire low-skilled, low-educated foreign workers to fill jobs that don't require skills or education, so theme parks, um, you know, crab processing plants, uh, things like that, anything that's non-agricultural. Seasonal businesses. Right. And so uh, each season, uh, they release um, under the cap 33,000 visas in one season and then 33,000 the next. Uh, we've obviously seen increases in the past few years. So um, with the additional 30,000, we're looking at six about 100,000. Right. Uh, 96,000, I think, will be the, you know, kind of the top. Um and uh, employers argue that they uh, they have labor shortages and they can't find people in their you know worksite area and that they need um, you know many of them have relied on these on this visa program for years and they you know say that without their returning workers they're not going to be able to stay in business. And Daniel, that's a key point: the the labor shortages. Are there shortages of American workers in these industries? So for a number of years going back, I, uh, some of my research in the past has shown that for many years, uh, unemployment was actually pretty high in the top H-2B occupations, and wages were essentially flat. In many cases, they'd even declined in some of the top uh, occupations. But um, you know, in the last couple of years, unemployment has gone down. There's been a little uptick in wage growth, although there's still quite a long ways to go to make up for everything we lost during the recession. However, you know, I think that the point is, you know, that there there are always going to be some labor shortages in some places at some time. I think that the key is, uh, you know, if you're going to bring in migrant workers to fill those shortages, I, I think that I think that's fine. But the workers that come in need to be paid fairly, and they need to have equal rights and protections. And uh, unfortunately, the H-2B program doesn't have that, and that's why it needs to be reformed so that the workers who, who do come in you know, have uh, a possible path to permanence, and they're not paid lower than, than what the, the going rate is for their work. And uh, you know, the, under the wage rules in the H-2B program, the employers have been able to, to game those rules, and they've lobbied against those rules, and they've lobbied for regulatory changes that have lowered those wage rates so that uh, employers can effectively underpay the workers who come in. So giving them an incentive to hire foreign workers over American ones. Daniel, these visas are very popular in some remote vacation spots, like Nantucket, but they're also used, President Trump has used them at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida, which is uh, in a populous area. So has, has the government done anything to quantify whether the claims of labor shortages are legitimate? You hit on a really important point. So the employer should have to prove that there is a labor shortage, and the employers do have to go through some hoops. But as the uh, the apply by facts story in the Washington Post uh, showed, Trump's uh, company was essentially, uh, you know, they, they were doing technically, they were recruiting local workers. They were uh, putting an ad in the newspaper that said apply by facts, but there was no other way to apply. So they were doing it in a way where it was difficult for people to apply. The New York Times reported on how hundreds of workers applied to Mar-a-Lago, but uh, only, you know, only, only I think, two or three U.S. workers were applied and, or, or hired. And so the problem is with the rules, the employers don't have to do enough to recruit U.S. workers, and they don't have to recruit nationally, and they don't have to offer to pay transportation or housing from another part of the country before they hire an H-2B worker. So there's there's much more that should be done for employers to prove that there's an actual labor shortage as it is now. They don't have to do all that much, and it's pretty easy to game the system. Okay, Preston, I'll turn to you. Um, Daniel just made an interesting point. 
the employers aren't required to advertise their jobs nationally, just in their local area, but then they're allowed to hire workers internationally. One can imagine a a job on Nantucket, say, a resort island off the coast of Massachusetts. That might be appealing to some college kid uh, to work in a hotel um, or in a restaurant there for the summer, a college kid from Ohio. But that Ohio kid may never see the job, right? Absolutely. And uh, I actually had a piece on this that I wrote um, about a few months ago, back in November, about, uh, you know, the U.S. government, you know, there are three um, departments that are involved in some form or another in the H-2B process. Uh, Why isn't there a domestic guest worker program that could be run by the Department of Labor? That seems to me much a much easier way to connect, like you said, you know, people maybe in Ohio uh, or even, you know, let's say people from Baltimore County, from the city of Baltimore, who would really benefit from some of those jobs in Nantucket or in, you know, some of the resort islands in Michigan. Uh, And because of the way the H2B program works, they're never going to hear about those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, the advertising requirement seems quite uh, out of another era. It's uh, the employers have to put an ad in the newspaper. And (laughs) I don't know how many people go to the want ads in the newspaper anymore to find a job. Right, and uh, they they recently uh, tried to come into the 21st century and and made some uh, changes to allow or to encourage employers to post on online job boards because of course no one today looks at job classifieds in the newspaper. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or at your favorite podcast app. I'm talking today with Daniel Costa and Preston Hennikins about foreign guest workers, why American employers want them, and why Congress and President Trump have accommodated them. So, Daniel, employers say Americans don't want to do these jobs. Is there evidence for that? Uh, well, I mean, the, 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 best, the best way to uh, require employers to just prove that that's the case in every time is to have uh, strict uh, recruiting requirements, as we just discussed and require that they pay uh, a fair wage, which would be at least the local, state, or national average wage. I think even a little bit higher would be, would be better. But um, the, way, the way it works, the, you know, the rules don't require employers to, uh, to do that. And so uh, it's hard for me to say, you know, in, in each case, it, it, it's always going to be in individual cases. You mentioned some of these jobs are in remote areas. Sometimes it is hard to find workers. I just think we should have rules in place that uh, that make sure employers have to check if there are other, uh, you know, if there are U.S. workers available before they hire a foreign worker. Once they hire the H-2B worker, they should just uh, pay them fairly, and we should reform the system so that those workers have equal rights and can stay here permanently. Right. I mean, a lot of these jobs might appeal to young people, you know, high school students or or college students for a summer job. And one interesting thing. That we've seen in the Labor Department statistics is that the workforce participation rate among that group, the young people, has declined over the last 20, 30 years quite substantially from around two-thirds of people aged 16 to 24 either having a job in the summer or seeking one to now it's, you know, somewhat a bit over 50 percent. So a big drop. And it, I'd, has there been any reasonable explanation for that? I mean, why are these young people seeking this work? The explanation that employers have often offered is that more of them are going to college or that the seasons that they need them for extend into the school year, and so they uh, can't have enough, uh, so they're not around long enough to work the job. The fact is that 
and the youth unemployment rate is always much higher than the regular unemployment rate. We should be taking measures to to get many of those people back to work, um, and and that's why some of the some of the solutions we've discussed I think would would help with that. Um, and there's also you know, there's other visa programs like the J1 program where workers come in uh, for many of these same jobs, and there are even fewer rules. And many of the employers who use H2Bs also use J1s, and that's a, a program where there's over 100,000 come in every year. Those are young college students from abroad come in for their summers, their, their summer right. abroad. And there are measures we can take and we should be taking, but we currently, we currently aren't. And part, part of that you know, is probably because employers do prefer to have uh, you know, workers on these visas who they can control. They know that they can't just leave for a dollar an hour extra uh, at the employer down the street. They are, they are essentially captive and they're not, they're not going to leave, so they end up having you know, what they refer to as a, a stable workforce. You know, many, many times employers claim that, well, why would I go through uh, you know, all the bureaucratic hoops and paying all the fees you know, to, to get a worker? Uh, you know, I would hire an American if I could. But um, you know the the fact of the matter is those fees that they pay and having to pay an immigration lawyer to do the paperwork, they get something in return, and that is someone who is uh, paid a wage that they're not going to have to raise and uh, isn't going to leave uh, isn't going to leave in the middle of the season. Okay, Preston, the Labor Department announced today that unemployment was at three point eight percent, extremely low. That's considered full employment by most economists. That indicates. Um, we're in a very tight labor market, that, and it lends credence to employers' argument that they can't find workers, doesn't it? Well, uh, the way I think about a tight labor market is that you know this is a great opportunity for us to bring people who otherwise wouldn't be working into jobs um, that employers traditionally wouldn't you know hire these people for. We're thinking you know ex-convicts, um, recovering drug addicts, people who, as a society, we really want to see. You know, we want to give them an opportunity so that they don't fall back into, you know, old, you know, bad habits. Um, so for me, a tight labor market is is nothing but good because it, it forces employers to, to have to look at these um, candidates they otherwise would have ignored. And Daniel, you mentioned that employers in this program are required to pay the prevailing wage in their industry and that they've sometimes played games with that and managed to pay less. Even paying the prevailing wage presumes, does it not, that wages should remain flat and that they should not go up when there's uh, pressure on employers, when there's a shortage of workers. And doesn't, doesn't that contribute to wage stagnation? Uh, the, I, I, I think it could. And I think uh, an easy solution is to pay a little bit uh, above that wage. Technic technically, employers are supposed to now pay uh, the local average wage for the HTB jobs. So for many years, they were allowed to pay the 17th wage percentile. There was um, the the Bush H2B rule, uh, the the second Bush administration. They they put in place a rule that allowed employers to pay what was called the level one wage, where they uh, split up the different wages into levels, and essentially almost all of them uh, paid the level one wage. And what that meant was that for a landscaper in Baltimore back then, I believe uh, the going rate was about $13, but you could pay $9 an hour, and you could advertise the job at that $9 an hour rate. And what that created was a fake labor shortage because U.S. workers didn't want to apply for you know those $13 an hour jobs at $9 an hour, and so that went on for many years. And there was legal battles, and there was battles in Congress over over that. Now it's at the now it's at the local average wage. Although you you can use private wage surveys to pay even less, so there's still ways to game that system. 
but I do think that it would be better to require uh, something over the average. That way, you don't put downward pressure on the higher earners, and you, uh, you, you know, you give an incentive to to employers to look for U.S. workers before you hire an H-2B worker, and uh, the, the H-2B workers who come in will will be paid fairly, and so everybody could win that way. Has Congress? Uh stepped in at all to provide any safeguards for American workers to make sure the foreign workers are are being treated fairly? No, they've only stepped in to uh, deregulate the program and defund labor department enforcement. And they've done that through appropriations writers over the years and through, uh, um, you know, corporate lobbyists and corporate uh, lobby groups bringing uh, litigation to try to water down the rules. Uh, The Obama administration, uh, you know, fought for during most of its administration to try to improve the rules that uh, Bush administration had uh, uh, really decimated and deregulated. And it was it it took almost two administrations to um, to to improve the rules. And they got a little bit better. And as soon as they got a little bit better, uh, corporate lobbyists went to Congress, asked for appropriations riders that uh, watered down the rules again. They, they, they've watered down some of the most important wage protections in, in the program and uh, not allowed the Labor Department to, um, to, to enforce some of those rules. And then, of course, they've ex- expanded the program as well through those riders. And Preston, what's your take on how Congress has performed here? Uh, I think Congress has done a remarkable job at uh, increasing the program even beyond the um, statutory limit every year. And uh, there's actually room for them to do even more because of some, uh, you know, backroom uh, legislative handiwork they put in uh, in the recent appropriations bill. So they could have gone even higher than 30000 if they wanted to. Any safeguards? Have they done anything to safeguard American workers or the foreign workers? Uh, no, absolutely not. Thank you both for joining us. Very much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to my producer, Tula Vlahu. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.